Welcome to Boating Insights. This is a podcast about achieving your boating dreams. Brought to you by Above and Beyond Boating. We deliver the leading courses to skipper your own boat. Welcome back to today's Boating Insights. You're here with me, Neil Driscoll, and I have some thoughts for you today around self-sufficiency. Um, we're looking at this from a perspective of uh, the boat and also uh, the people, particularly uh, yourselves. Um, give you a little bit of background on this. We, we've been you, you know, closely uh, monitoring what's been going on for you know, all, the, all the particularly blue water cruisers um, in and around the Pacific region who have uh, had a really tough time trying to kind of figure out solutions and you know any number of things from having to do you know one hot trips across the Pacific Ocean or when they hadn't planned to originally uh, to being stuck in locations getting to places and not let in and all sorts of nightmares and some good stories as well but generally pretty tough times um and as I've been kind of monitoring this and talking to people and looking at you know various kind of eventualities what's been really clear and something that I wanted to talk to you about today is the self-sufficiency particularly of the boat and also the people um, has had a huge impact on the decisions that people have been able to make and and you know, had had to play a massive role in the um, kind of the decision matrix so let's have a look at the boat um, one of the first things that we've found is um, that people have realised where they may have been quite heavily dependent previously on one actual power on board, but two potentially getting in and out of marinas uh, quite regularly in any number of ways. That might be because the food storage capacity that they have on board is limited. The ability to produce power to keep said food cold might be an issue. Um, we get onto water as a separate issue, but um not generally maybe like you know, lights and devices and nav equipment but just the infrastructure that they need to live with the number of people they have on board people have been finding that uh essentially if you were self-sufficient and you you know maybe you've got good uh cold storage on board with um sustainable power sources uh, particularly solar um seems to be everybody's favorite really these days um and we've and again with you know really really good deep cycle um uh batteries uh, potentially even lithium batteries where you know they've got huge capacity and you can uh, run them down a lot further charge them faster etc so what i have uh what i have been observing is a lot of people if they can afford to, um, and they're in a location where it's you know, viable, have focused a lot more on their self-sufficiency um, and not needing to get into uh, marinas in terms of being able to store food and keep it fresh and on the other side, uh, you know, make power. And that's been a, a really big uh, kind of issue for people to kind of overcome and, and make sure that they're on top of. Following through, um, just looking still at the boat and the power. So the other side of that is water. You know, can you make water if you've got a 12-volt system? Um, do you, you know, if, if you're, uh, how are you powering your uh, water maker or uh, desalinator? 
Um, all these things kind of feed in together if you think, yes, you can make water, but if you need power to make water and you need fuel to make power, things just keep adding up all over the place. So, um, you know, that's where some people have been, you know, looking at solutions if they are able to get to a point. I mean, the, I suppose the dream, if you if you think about it, is if you could get, if you, aside from the budgetary considerations, if you're at a scenario that you can generate power uh, via, you know, solar or possibly wind, uh, depending which way you go, or maybe a combination, and you can store that power, you can run with that power, you're not needing to carry and uh, burn diesel to get that power, and then on top of that, you can potentially uh, cook and make water. Well, suddenly you're self-sufficient, and you know that then means you know if, if you're pretty handy with a fishing rod, um, you, you might not actually need to get into you know marinas or ports for quite some time. Um, there is a huge caveat with this, though, which is the cost of setting things up. Um, you know, if you can, even if you find your way into purchasing a boat that was set up by other people, odds are you're buying old batteries, uh, older solar panels might not be as efficient, it may be okay, but, you know, potentially, point being, you're, you're likely to be getting older technology, even if it's working. So, it's not always a done deal just when it comes with a boat, but it, you know, it can be expensive to achieve all of these things. One of the reasons for wanting to do the, this topic as a podcast was to kind of draw your attention that for most people, when they've looked at this, it's, it, it's generally the calculation has been based on, not always, but the general calculation is usually based on well, how much it's going to cost me to get that self-sufficient and can I just achieve the same thing by buying diesel, going into a marina every few days and filling up with water, whatever it might be. And all of a sudden, this has changed because you may find, and as we've just seen this year, you could actually find that although you thought you were going to be able to go and get uh, diesel, water, etc., that actually you can't get in somewhere. And, you know, there's plenty of places where getting in and out borders are going to become... Uh, or going to remain complicated for a little while yet, um, assuming you can go anywhere. And so starting to give some thought to, okay, well, what's it worth to us uh, or me, depending on your cruising configuration, to just be off the grid, essentially. Um, the reason I say the big caveat is, yes, there's a financial implication. The other one is... Um, the potential maintenance, you know, the more systems you have, the more reliant you're on them to be off the grid, the more exposed you might find yourself if something goes wrong and you don't know how to work them. Um, so, you know, especially those of you that are kind of coming into this from the beginning, you know, it's worth understanding that yeah, just because you've got solar and everything's all worked on that, that's all fine, but it's only fine as long as all the solar's working or the, the charger's working or uh, your batteries are in good health, etc. So it's worth understanding that the more you plan to be able to be off the grid, the more important on a skills basis that 
it is that you you could be off the grid in terms of the external support that you need to kind of on one side maintain and the other side I suppose is you know troubleshoot and potentially replace replace and repair um everything's achievable everything's learnable but just putting these things in you know in into an equation you go and get some super fancy complicated system set up while you're in a uh capital city of a developed country and then you just go all over the place and hope that you can get support for that sometimes you'd be lucky sometimes you might struggle so um that's just something that you need to kind of factor in is not just how we're going to put it in here but how we're going to you know, once we've paid for something and set it up, how are we going to make sure that we can, if we're going on this pathway, how can we make sure we can look after it? So, um, I also want to flag, I find all the time that people focus heavily on production in terms of power and water and often overlook storage. Um, so, it's worth having a think if you're setting yourself up so that you are generating power and you are um, you are generating um, uh, water, uh, are there options that you can start looking at so that you could potentially store um, store more of the the water and power that you're you're making so that you're minimizing the wastage? Um, not always easy. Um, but, you know, as, as, as an example, you know, I recently talking to someone who um, they shifted from, I think they were needing to run six domestic batteries and they were able to then transfer that down to one lithium. Um, uh, so, you know, I suppose if you, if you start looking in this way, it's kind of, aside from the financial issue of can I afford to buy these things, the other issue that comes up pretty quickly on all boats is where are we going to put everything? So that's worth understanding. I mean, if you can get to a scenario that, you know, potentially uh, a battery bank for a liveaboard living that might be up to six or eight batteries, um, if you could get that down to two, um, then that also creates an amount of space that you might be able to use for something else. So that's another thing to to understand. so is making power and water then there's storing power and water and then that sort of feeds into a few other bits and pieces so with the boat another area of self-sufficiency um is weather um it's an area that i'm often quite blown away is um not really taking the time to get comfortable with different configurations in uh, softer breeze um so that when you're in much stronger breeze you know you're actually ready for it um especially those of you on sailing boats um then which you know for crossing oceans is the majority of us it's a, a pretty you know not everyone but it's a, it's a pretty big ticket to do the fuel bill on uh, ocean crossing so generally most people try and make the the wind the fuel uh or the main source of uh drive um if you're starting to look at dealing with heavier weather, that's you know there are other topics we cover them in videos, podcasts, etc., courses. But the thing to be thinking about is you know how self-sufficient are you with the crew configuration you've um, you've got? So kind of 
in the same way as I often see people overlook um, overlook being set up for storage when they are looking at kind of production capacity. In terms of weather, the thing that I I often see overlooked is I suppose both extremes. So on a heavy weather setup, like making sure that you've taken the time to get really comfortable with how you're going to have the boat set up in much stronger breeze and ideally having lines and rigging run and practiced um, so that you're not trying to figure it out when you're in major breeze. You're just making connections with ropes and uh, hardware that's already been kind of set up and configured. The little one on that is just a thought. um, It's obvious to me from a training background, but a lot of people forget. But, you know, if you want to practice things like putting poles on guys and braces for pulling out headsaws and rigging preventers and all that good stuff. Um, remember, you can always do all of that without the sails out. So, you know, if you just want to, you know, if you, particularly if you're maybe motor sailing or you're hanging out on a mooring, you just want to um, use the time productively. It's a really good time to actually just practice doing maneuvers and setting up different configurations uh, and, and potentially, you know, troubleshooting, looking at chafe, looking at uh, pinch points, looking at weak points, uh, while you don't necessarily have the sail out. So that, that that's a good idea. The other side is um, keeping the boat moving in quite light wind. So, um, you know, we often... You, you know, people will ask me all the time about, you know, spinnaker configurations and things, and that's great. And, you know, I chuckle, I don't know, Navy BTV, um, you know, Chris Nicholson, one of the best offshore yachtsmen alive at the moment, was, um, you know, he said for his family trip from Europe to Australia, they, you know, they, they bought a Code Zero and they, I think he said they put it up once um, for the whole trip. Now, people often looking at spinnakers and complex kind of ideas, one thing I would urge you to have a think about is the other end of heavy weather is are there ways that you might be able to help make the boat sail um, in much lighter breeze? So, you know, decrease, especially if time's not a major issue, decreasing um, sort of the true wind strength that you need to turn the engine on to make any sort of sensible ground based on your passage planning. Um, you know, if wind is your primary fuel, uh, the bigger the range of conditions you can sail in, uh, the less diesel you're, or whatever you're using, generally diesel, you're going to run. Um, interesting, I've said that with generally diesel, because, uh, you know, we're now starting to see um, boats with electric engines, which going back to the whole kind of power thing, that creates a, uh, you know, a, a, a very interesting uh, scenario if you've got a you know, a light um, electric engine and you can generate power for that. Maybe you don't have to worry about the wind anymore. They most of us seem to like sailing. Um, so if you're, um, you know, if, if you're looking at light wind stuff, one thing is just actually practicing your light wind sailing. Uh, two is understanding your settings. And then, you know, depending again on space, is thinking about if there's an option to have a kind of a drifter or, um, you know, a cross-range sail that might help you keep the boat moving in uh, in, in very light conditions. Um, uh, time's always an issue there, but that, that that's another area of self-sufficiency. I mean, the, the more time you're sailing, the less potentially, you know, most boats still running on diesel engines, the less diesel you need to use. Uh, bigger range you've got, you can uh, sail and carry it for. So 
another thing for you to look at. And now, um, it's sort of links over between people and boat, but um, is where we can kind of automate some of the crew functions or, you know, at least complement them. So really, I suppose the two areas that stood out for me on the plan for this is um, the lookout. So, you know, the benefit of uh, having a setup, for example, uh, very simple to use, you know, something like AIS with uh, target alarms, making sure that, you know, you've planned the targets based on um, maybe when the AIS is picking up boats that are actually already, that are still over the horizon from you, um, just to help help draw your attention. Um, you know, a lot of people might be doing watches just two up. Um, huge amount of people that I've come across uh, the stories of this year have had to do single-handed or double-handed ocean crossings that they were not originally that wasn't in the brief when they first came up with the plan for the trips they were on um and then you need help you need help to look out and of course you need help for steering whether that's uh wind vanes or um autopilots or some sort of self-steering setup something i will add on here you know all things kind of go around in a circle but yeah, autopilot's brilliant. You can have redundancy, tried and tested. There's a reason you find them everywhere. Really interesting to note that when you see people that have got enough ocean crossings under their belt that they don't bother to tell you how many anymore, that a lot of them uh, I see finding their way to setups with wind uh, wind vanes. And, you know, essentially, even if it's that, so they're backup, so they've got a powered if you like electric autopilot system um and then the wind vane but so, because the uh, 101 basically if the autopilot fails um you're a crew member down that was working 20 potentially 24 7 for weeks on end with no food or sleep so when they're gone and you need to replace them with people that need feeding and rest um that's a pretty massive impact um and interesting that you know a lot of people i'm seeing going down the line of uh wind just kind of wind vane or some sort of setup where you can have um, self-steering using wind so that they are um, able to have a, a, a power-free setup. So again, obviously benefit there. Aside from using power, you lose your power. You didn't lose your uh, number one crew member. So um, that's something I, that is worth kind of thinking about is, you know, what's our autopilot setup if we've got no power or if we lose our autopilot? And look, if you're banging up and down the coast kind of doing... Um, you know, trips like just a hundred, few hundred miles, um, or you know, a couple of thousand, but hopping, uh, it's probably not such a big deal. You're doing a couple of weeks at sea, it's a pretty big deal. So, um, it just it, also you got to think about what 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 you're actually going to be doing over X period of time. Now, then that comes into your skills. So, um, a, one biggie there is, um, medical um you know fortunately touch wood i've never had to have someone medivac off of a boat um i'm certainly not a doctor um so um when you're looking at your skills i start with medical i've always thought a really good starting point is if you've got if you make sure that you actually at least know how to use everything in the first aid kit now clearly if we're just talking about your yeah, $50 St. John's first aid kit. That's pretty obvious. It's just wrapping up a bandage and a few dressings. But um, 
if you're going to go and spend a bit of cash on a serious ocean going first aid kit make sure you actually know how to use everything in it um there's a you know we're not specifically affiliated to any any pathway there but there's some really really good uh first aid training solutions available all over the world um and dial in doctors all sorts of stuff so that's something which you you just want to think about you know where are your skills at where's your equipment at and yeah if you're having a major on board um how quickly are you going to get to a point that you need uh, to be able to evacuate someone? Because odds are as you're crossing oceans, the majority of the time, unless you're lucky enough to be close to a cruise ship or a warship, and uh, you're not going to be next to many cruise ships at the moment, uh, then your, um, your self-sufficiency has got to be huge because you're going to be out of range of helicopters pretty much the entire time. Um, and... Um, you know, helicopter transfer is not ideal, but boat to boat transfers with a medivac is um, that's a huge issue. Like that's massive, even on a good day. So, just you know, things to think about. You know, what are you? Wh- where is your skill set at? And I suppose even if you upskill, um, if you thought about what happens if something happens to you, like who else is kind of clued up and do they know where things are, etc. Um, big one for self sufficiency. That then feeds in really for me to. Um, communications um you know how are we getting our weather information um what redundancies have we got in place do we know how to use them um have we kind of have we tried them so we're not just sort of heading out into the deep blue and hoping we figure out the sat phone on the fly and get it talking to the computer and things you can go a long way on that it's just something that uh again it's something that you kind of really want to have a have a look at and understand and it's generally a budget budget driven and also if you're if you're trying to work i mean uh, for a lot of people part of the self-sufficiency here is that you're still trying to drive an income and manage some thing in the background um be it passive or active income but you know you might well need to be connected in order to be self-sufficient and out in deep blue so you just need to look at that and then kind of the last couple of bits are you know your your sort of sailing skills um Whenever I've been caught in some really horrendous conditions, I'm always very pleased that I've got my dinghy sailing background to fall back on, um, and um, and always really relieved to have um, have dinghy sailors around when we need people to kind of drive the boat in big conditions when the when the autopilot's failed, etc. So, as well, just have a look at your own sailing skills, um, and you know, see if, if if there's anything there that you might be able to do that helps you kind of be better in stronger weather. Um, understand the loads that are on the autopilot. Be good at balancing the boat. You know, I'm not necessarily talking that you're going to try and volunteer to jump on a AC75 and uh, join the Americans Cup, but maybe just make sure that you could at least balance some sails, sail up to a mooring buoy. Uh, not have it as a major drama if you if your engine failed and you needed to just kind of get home and deal with that. I think that's um, really key. Key. Uh, it's not necessarily about racing; it's about seamanship. Um, and when you're looking at that, just try and think back. You know, it wasn't that long ago in the scheme of life. A couple of hundred years ago, people were going around the world with no engines. So, just try and think about where you're at for that, and if if there's anything that you should do to uh, to help you. Um, and then the last bit to finish off is your so general endurance so I suppose the best thing I could think of with this is just are you sure you want to 
you know, just because boats cross oceans doesn't mean that you have to. Like, if you're happy doing coastal adventures and a few overnighters and you're not sure, you know, good idea. But maybe also if you're thinking about, you know, some of the stuff I just talked about is massive life decisions and huge amounts of money. I'm always staggered by the number of people who set up their entire life to be able to do that and don't just uh, volunteer to crew across one ocean first. Um, You don't really know what you don't know until you try it. And so maybe if you're thinking about all of this, just have a think about if there's ways that you can kind of expose yourself to the environment before you make too much of a commitment. Because there is a reason why there's a lot more people doing kind of day trips and coastal trips and sailing across oceans. Crossing oceans is awesome. But um, one thing I've observed quite often is that by the time you've kind of set your life up, maybe sort of figured out the business, put a manager in or sold it or whatever you've done and you've <laughs> sold up your house and you bought this boat and you've set it all up for blue water sailing, you, you might not like it. Um, and so if you can kind of just depressurize all of that, because if you're, if, if you've done all of that and then suddenly you head out there and everyone's seasick and it's not quite, you know, anchoring on a tropical Island, like you thought that it, it can really pressurize the situation and potentially quite disappointing outcomes. So just, you don't have to try before you buy, but just try and expose yourself to the environment, um, gently without kind of going all out to, you know, put massive investment of time and money in until and, and until you've got a reasonable feel about how you're going to feel about it because some people love sailing across oceans and and being you know off the grid for months on end and for others it's not for them and whatever's right for you is super fine so look, thanks so much for listening i hope this one's been helpful and uh let me know how you go Bye.